Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Guidestone's Faith-Based Investing Podcast. I'm excited for today's episode, mainly because we're going to touch on a topic that I think should resonate with all of our audience. And in particular, today's guest will be a new name to most people who have listened to this before or have joined us for any of Guidestone's other investments-related broadcast webinars and other things before. Today, I am joined by Dr. Hans Dilbeck, who last year became president-elect of Guidestone and this year became the president and CEO of Guidestone. Dr. Dilbeck is an exciting time for us for you to join us because most people that are familiar with Guidestone, we haven't had a leadership change in over 25 years. And so this is really kind of a new era for us. So first, thank you for joining us today. And I'll be excited to get into today's topic with the audience. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Will. This particular episode was was something you and I, uh, I think, talked about for the first time maybe uh, five, six months ago at, at this point. And I thought it was really important because you are uh, leading us in this mission of uh, really helping those that serve the Lord improve their financial security and resilience, right? And and how that helps them accomplish their kingdom goals and spread the gospel. And uh, one of the foundations of that, that that I asked you about was, all right, well, what does the Bible say about wealth? What, how should we help people think about that? So, you know, one of the, the areas was finding scripture that was applicable to this. And, and you shared with me some scripture that you thought was good foundation for this. So I'd love to kind of unpackage that for, for the audience today. Money is a major theme of scripture. The Bible talks about money, wealth, poverty, the use and misuse of money from beginning to end. The challenge is that it's easy to pull different texts of Scripture out of context and not have a holistic view of the Scripture. And so when we think about what the Bible says about wealth, it's important to keep that overall understanding of the Bible story, the big biblical narrative in mind, those themes of creation and fall and redemption and consummation, you know, creation how things ought to be, the fall, how things are, redemption, how things can be in Christ Jesus, and consummation, how things will be. So whatever particular scripture we're reading about wealth, about money, it's really important to uh, understand them in that proper context of the whole counsel of God's Word. Yeah, the statement that, that I made to you was, I would love to expand on what scripture says to this, but context matters. I, I think in a lot of cases where I've seen this in this industry, you find a lot of content, but very much absent context. And I think with us being a leader in this space, it's very important for us to help people address that. Oh, that's right. And I've been spending time this year in the pastoral epistles because, as you said, our calling here at Guidestone is to serve those who serve the Lord. And, and so an awareness of what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy and Titus uh, is very relevant to, the, to our work at Guidestone. And uh, there's a particular text at the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy that that I think is fascinating because it's so concise, it's very tightly packed, just three verses of Scripture. But it also clearly is Paul reflecting upon all that the Bible says, all that God has taught his people about wealth, about money, down through the ages. I think it's a real resource for us there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In fact, 
what I'd like to do is just take a few minutes and read those three verses if it's helpful for our listeners. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Right. There is a lot. There is a lot packed in a very brief statement. Yeah, I think it's apparent that Paul is aware of misunderstandings, of extremes. He's doing a lot of balancing Mm -hmm. in that text, I think, in some interesting ways. Poverty and wealth, this life and the life to come enjoying and employing well. There's, there's, there's so many balances there that I think it's very interesting yeah, to consider. It is. So then if we were to take that scripture, right, and we think about looking at it through that contextual lens, right, if we're looking at it through those elements of creation, fall, redemption, um, consummation, like how would we look at that, right, if you wanted to break it down through those lenses? Yeah, it's a great way to look at that particular text. If you look at it through the lens of creation, that God created all that is, and God declared his creation good. When you look at that text through that lens of creation, you realize that the Bible teaches us that the Lord God created all that exists. That means he created wealth. He provides wealth. Remember when the Lord placed the man, Adam, in the garden, before there was prohibition, there was permission. Before he said, don't eat of this tree, He said, you can eat of any of the trees in the garden. So there's permission to enjoy and employ creation. And so this text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when the apostle Paul calls Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world, he says, it is God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I think that's a phrase that would surprise a lot of people. But Paul expressly says, Wealth is a part of God's creation. Wealth is provision from God. And part of what God wants us to do with his financial provision is to enjoy what he blesses us with. Yeah. Enjoy creation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But clearly those fall elements are there, you know, that God created the world. He created wealth. He calls it good. But sin has entered in and it impacts wealth. And the way we respond to wealth in clear ways. The Bible teaches us that our world is fallen and corrupted by sin. And when Paul's speaking to Timothy about wealth, he's very aware of the fallenness of, to use the biblical language, this present world. Paul is sensitive to the fact that sin has not only impacted the nature of wealth, the nature of the economy, but also the nature of the wealthy person that because of sin and because of the brokenness of our world, wealth is unstable, it's unpredictable. And because of sin in our hearts, we're prone, the text says, we're prone to prideful self-reliance. We're prone to selfishness. We're prone to ignoring the fact that wealth in this fallen world is uncertain. So clearly Paul is mindful of the fact that the brokenness of the world, the fall, the impact of sin in us and around us impacts the way we encounter and deal with wealth. So both of those 
two primary themes of the biblical narrative are clearly coming to the surface in the text. Yeah, uh, it is. If if somebody is to a point where, you know, in, in a fallen world, we're relying on ourselves or we're relying on our wealth and not relying on God. Absolutely. Remember, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that displaced or misplaced priority on wealth or trusting wealth, which in some ways is ultimately trusting in ourselves, it's pride. Those things come to the surface and it's clearly a a major theme of scripture. There's a reason why it's hard for the rich man to go to heaven. It's a reason why poor people tend to be more responsive to the gospel. And it's because of what wealth can do to our pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But the thrust of the text instruct those who are rich reminds us that in Timothy's ministry there in Ephesus, wealthy people were coming to faith in Christ. So as Timothy is ministering to the church, he's ministering to poor people and he's ministering to wealthy people. And Paul is saying, in particular, make sure that you teach the wealthy people some of these core biblical truths. And so Jesus changes everything when someone comes to faith in Christ. When our sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He makes us a new creation. He changes everything, including the way we feel about, the way we view, the way we use our wealth. And so Paul says, Timothy, you've got some Christians that need to understand how Jesus impacts their wealth and the way they use it. And the instructions there, again, they're very concise. They're kind of, it's almost like bullet points, but they're very straightforward, really, that wealth is a tool that can be used for good, that wealthy people should be generous, but they should not use generous giving as a substitute for service. I think it's interesting that Paul says, instruct them to do good to be rich in good works and to be generous and share. And I think sometimes people who have a lot of wealth tend to want to give almost as a substitute for serving. And it it seems to me like Paul is hedging against that. Clearly, generosity is part of what he's calling wealthy people to. And it is a primary way that wealthy people can impact the kingdom and serve the Lord, be good stewards. But they still have time They still have talents and capacities. And so along with generous giving, they need to make sure that they're engaged, that they're doing good. And so I think that's an interesting balance. But then they also have that balance in the text between verse 17, God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. But in verse 18, he quickly pivots to employing that well. We enjoy as God sees fit, it's a little bit of a hedge against a purely aesthetic way of life, but it's also a clear reminder that our stewardship, the reason we have the wealth is not just so we can enjoy it, mm-hmm. but so that we can employ it for his kingdom purposes, to advance the gospel and to, and, uh, to honor Christ. And that's the redemption part of the story, right? So mm-hmm. the wealth is good. It's created by God because of the fall, there are some dangers and distortions of wealth. But when Christ enters in, it helps us to realize that this wealth is something God has given me so that I can use it to honor Christ and advance his kingdom. 
Right. You don't want to rank order anything, but I think the redemption right really is a key and important element. And, and I loved this when we were, you know, thinking about some of these topics, an organization that Guidestone participates with for financial advisors called Kingdom Advisors this year in 2022, their conference theme was redeeming money. And it's actually going to be a two year theme. They're bringing it into 2023 as well, but that's really at the heart of what they're trying to do is in guiding people and being the best stewards they can understand not only what their time and their talents can lead them towards, but how wealth can be a redemptive tool, how it can be used to grow God's kingdom. Yeah. And again, back to the balance element in scripture, you know, there's a danger in the kingdom and in the church of so catering to, showing preference toward elevating people of wealth that you're showing a preference in a way that's displeasing to God. James has something to say about that. We want to be careful about elevating the wealthy in an unbiblical and ungodly way. But at the same time, the scripture very clearly tells us here, for example, that the wealthy people had a place in the church. They have a stewardship of their own and that Christ redeems their wealth and calls them to use it in a way to honor Christ and impact the kingdom, just like he gives everybody something to bring into the kingdom. And uh, money is one of those things that we can use to accomplish his good purpose. Sometimes, again, if you think of creation as the way things ought to be and the fall as the way things are, redemption is about the way things can be. It's, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand in Christ Jesus. What could we do with this wealth in a way that advances the gospel and honors Christ? Hmm. But then, you know, the final kind of chapter of the biblical narrative is restoration, or sometimes theologians will call it consummation, uh, you know, not, not end in the sense that it's over, but end in the sense that it's come to completion, that tell-off sense of consummation. And, and that's clearly in Paul's mind as he's talking about money. Paul explores the use of wealth in light of both the present age and the coming age. He keeps drawing that contrast. And, you know, wealth, if we're not careful, can blind us to the reality of eternity. Mm -hmm. And Paul's challenge is that we've got to manage our wealth in light of the coming restoration of all things under the lordship of Christ. And so when Paul's saying storing up for themselves, that wealthy people can store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed, He's calling us to be mindful of the consummation of the final state. And whether we're wealthy or poor, our ambition is to stand before Christ and hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. And certainly that blessed hope, that sense of where all creation is moving, is something that casts light on how we feel about wealth and how we use wealth under the Lordship of Christ. Yeah, you started it off the right way. Just a few verses packs a ton of substance in there. And I first and foremost want to thank you for, for joining us today to talk about these topics because it's, I think, important for people to understand as they work with someone like Guidestone and they think about how we can work with the people that we serve in the ministry marketplace as we serve the broader Christian population. It's important to understand the root of what it is that we are trying to people with and how they should think about this when it comes to the concept of wealth and stewardship and investing. So I thank you for helping us on our first deep dive into scripture. And for our audience, I hope this is something that you were able to draw value out of 
And this is going to be the first of a number of these where we take deep dives into segments of scripture and we can help provide value to you and guidance to you and looking to the word when it comes to these things that we are trying to do as it relates to being good stewards. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of Faith-Based Investing with Guidestone. I look forward to the opportunity to educate you on future episodes. And again, if you have any particular questions, please reach out to your Guidestone representative. Thank you, Dr. Dilbeck. Thank you, Will. It's been a pleasure. As of September 30th, 2022, Guidestone Funds has $14.2 billion in assets, which makes Guidestone Funds the nation's largest faith-based mutual fund family. No other faith-based fund family exceeds Guidestone Funds in asset size. There can be no guarantee that any strategy, risk management, or otherwise will be successful. All investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. You should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the funds before investing. A prospectus with this and other information about the funds may be obtained by calling 1-888-GS-FUNDS, 1-888-473-8637, or downloading one at guidestonefunds.com forward slash funds. It should be read carefully before investing. Funds invested in accordance with the faith-based investment restrictions of Guidestone Financial Resources may not be able to take advantage of certain investment opportunities due to these restrictions, which may adversely affect investment performance. Guidestone Funds shares are distributed by Foresight Funds Distributors, LLC, not an advisor affiliate. Foresight is not a registered investment advisor and does not provide investment advice.